Amen. Please have a seat. In Matthew it says, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall bear a child, or shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You know, we just finished a month celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. But I didn't want to leave that there and jump right into 15 weeks through the book of James, which is very much a book about doing. It's very much a book about, okay, so is your life living out what you profess to believe? But I don't want to go right there and leave behind the presence of his peace love, hope, and joy that we were practicing over the last month because it is in those things that the power comes. It is in the truth that He came as our Savior to save us from our sins that makes it possible for us to live out what James is going to tell us to live out as we start that series. Guys, remember, He did not come all this way the first time to leave us alone or to expect us to walk this thing out on our own. In the meantime, he came to show us how desperately he loves us. And before we open up our Bibles to the passages that we're going to look at today, I want to share with you sort of the, the passage that will spell out the, th the next three weeks. We're going to look at walking into a new year, a new decade with Jesus in power and provision. We're going to look at it next week in feasting and fasting. And then three we in two weeks, we'll look at it in loving and living. And then, Lord willing, we'll jump into James and we'll live those things out together as we walk with Jesus. But the passage that God really spoke to me in, in, in putting this series together, this little mini-series for the next three weeks, was out of Mark chapter 3. And it says this. It says, He went up on the mountain and summoned those whom He Himself wanted. And they came to Him. And He appointed twelve so that they would be with him. And that he would send them out to preach and to save and to have authority and to cast out demons. Do you see what it says there? The things that stuck out to me. He summoned those he wanted. So he's calling his people to himself. So for a purpose. So that they might be with him. He didn't just summon them and then send them out right away. He said, I'm going to summon you and I'm going to walk with you. And you're going to walk with me. Because without the walking with, there's no doing for in the power of his spirit. Guys, don't miss the beauty of the order. Before there is proclamation, before we go proclaiming the gospel, there's proximity. Being with the gospel incarnate Jesus Christ. Before there is power, there is the person. Church Father Augustine, who lived in between 350 and 450 AD, he's next to the Apostle Paul, he's probably the man most credited for saving the Christian faith. He lived in North Africa, and he called this practice of walking with Jesus withness. Walking with, so, so we're going to spend these three weeks talking about our withness that will lead to our witness as we go through 15 weeks in the book of James. But to try to live a life in Jesus or do something for Jesus, we have to walk with Jesus. And he has to walk with us. Before we jump into 
what does genuine faith look like, which is 15 different things James is going to point out to us, we need to remember that there is a power that comes behind it, and that power comes from Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of something that we learned in the Advent season. Jesus did not come all this way to say, I don't like you. Right? Jesus did not come all this way to say, get your act together and then I'll walk with you. Jesus came for the messed up you. Jesus wants to walk with the imperfect you because he knows that's the only you he's got. And he will make you perfect as he conforms you into his image. Right? That's the Jesus we celebrate. That's the Jesus that walks with us. He came all this way to prove to us that he loves us. Because how do we know Jesus loves us? How do we know Jesus wants to be with us? Well, first he came. He didn't have to. He emptied himself of some of his deity to come here and live in our filth, move into our neighborhood. If that's not enough, oh, by the way, he desperately prays in, in the garden to be, re, to be released from this burden of having to go to the cross and be separated from his father. And then he goes to the cross and is separated from his father. And then he defeats death by rising again. And then if that is not enough, he gives us his word and the power of his spirit to live in us. Guys, all of these things prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus wants to be with us. And he didn't do all of those things to just now go, but you know what, good luck with that. I, I gave you all that stuff, and I did all that stuff for you, but now you're all on your own. And yet, I feel like I often, too often in my life, walk on my own. When I, when I know he wants to walk with me. So we're going to get really practical over the next three weeks and talk about what does that look like. All of these things come together in, in today's question that we're going to look at as we start this series and walk into 2020 being with Jesus. Today's question is, what does it take for us to walk with Jesus into a new year, a new decade, or into eternity? Here's what, so the first thing is, if we open up our Bibles to John 14, here is what you need to know. Here is what you need to know. So open up your Bibles to John 14. It's where we were for the invocation in chapter 16. So just go back to the left from where you were there. And we're going to take a look at the first couple of verses there in John 14. Verses 16 and 17, it says this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now he's talking to the disciples before Pentecost. He's saying, this Holy Spirit is walking with you right now. If you are not in Christ yet, if you are not, if he is not yours and you are not his, the Holy Spirit is drawing you with you, drawing you to him. And when you come to faith in Christ, which we will celebrate here in a, in a few minutes with a couple of baptisms, we, that is when he comes into us. But guys, it, I want to take the time because this is important. What do we need to know? The first thing is, the first thing we need to walk into 2020 with Jesus is we have to be with Jesus. You have to be born again. So turn in your Bibles a few pages to the left to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and in verse 1, this is where we as Christians get this idea, this verbiage of born again language. 
They didn't, the evangelists in the 80s didn't just invent this. Jesus talked about it. It says, but now there was a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. I'm in John 3, 1. Now verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night because he was afraid the people would mock him or criticize him. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do, that you do unless God is with him. He doesn't know who Jesus is yet. He just knows Jesus has legitimate authority and power because of what Jesus has been doing. So he's like, man, you are an amazing teacher of God, obviously. He doesn't know that he is God. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There it is. Born, in order to walk into 2020 or to walk out of here today as kingdom people living in kingdom power for kingdom glory, you have to be born again. Nicodemus said to him, he's confused, maybe like some of you are, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's physical birth, and the spirit, that's spiritual birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, our physical bodies, and that which is born of spirit, our spiritual self, is spirit. We have two birthdays. The day you came out of your mother's womb and the day you were born into the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit went from being with you to being in you. Look at what he says about the Spirit. Now remember this for later. Because we're going to need this for where we're going to finish the, the message today. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? So here's this Pharisee, a teacher of Israel, right? A leader of the people, and he has not a clue what is going on because it is a supernatural thing. Guys, salvation is a supernatural event. So is every time you come to the Word and it speaks to your heart, that is a supernatural event because apart from being born again, it will not do that. You can read your Bible. I did for years. You can read. I was, I was forced to in college. I read it. I didn't understand most of it. I studied it to take the test and pass the class, and that was all there was to it. Once I, came, once I was born again, those same words came to life because that is a supernatural, spirit-anointed event every time you open up the Bible. So the first thing that we, have to, that we need to know is that we have to be born again. The problem with Nicodemus was he knew about God. He just didn't know God. He knew his Bible. He just didn't know the God behind the Bible. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of Christians find themselves. We might, we might know Scripture, but we don't have a real walk with Jesus day to day. Because we know a lot about him, but we don't really know him. Or even if we know him and we are saved, we keep him at arm's length. Guys, God has been pursuing us. Jesus has been pursuing you since before you were you. And we have been pushing him aside and marginalizing him ever since. Let's pick it back up in John 14. Keep going here with... The next few verses. I'm going to pick it up in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He did not come all this way to leave us alone. 
After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Guys, he's speaking to us. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and my Father in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, there was another one that was among the twelve at the time, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you, that you are going to disclose yourself to us but not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, and, my, and, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Guys, what seems to be the great differentiator between us, people in Christ, and the world? According to the passage I just read. Loving Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. Now we tend to flip those around. I talk about that a lot here. The first call of the Christian is not obey. It's not behave. Right? The first call of the Christian is behold. And behold the beauty of Christ. Fall in love with him and he will help you obey him. But make no mistake. Christ talks over and over and over again about keeping his, obeying his commandments. He does not have 66 books of suggestions, right? He commands that we be in this so that we know it, so that we live it. These are not suggestions from him. Why? Because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform the people of God into the image of the Son of God. This you know, if you've been here any length of time, it's my soapbox, being in his word every day. It is the transforming power the Spirit uses. To say that you are a Christian and not read the word is a non sequitur. There is, it is not logical. It, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Guys, walking with Jesus does not end with Bible reading. You can read your Bible all you want. I talked about that. And not be walking with Jesus. But it has to begin there. How do I know? Because Hosea, the prophet Hosea said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Amos said it this way. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when there will be a famine in the land. A famine, not of bread, not of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And guys, we are in that day. We are in that day. Do you know, and I've quoted these before, so I'm going to go through them quickly. Do you know that, that less than 25% of all church-going followers of Christ read their Bibles outside of being at church? I'm not talking about people in this country. I'm not talking about people who say they're Christians. I'm talking about people that are in church today. Less than 25% of us will actually read our Bibles apart from the act of being in the church service. That is just not good, to put it nicely. And yet we lament, in, in, in our own hearts, we lament like just not being hot-hearted, not being, not being on fire, not really feeling his presence. We lament the, what's going on in the church today. And then we want, guys, it is directly connected. There, there is no, there is, it is, you cannot disconnect what's going on in, the, in Christendom today and the lack of 
people being on their own, engaging with the word of God. They are directly, directly related. How do we know? Because, and again, I've quoted these before, but there was a study done of church-going people who said, who, and, and how often they engage in the Bible, like just read the Bible on their own, and, and, what, and, and then they, they, they question them about things in their life, how they felt about relationships, their outlook in the, for the future, etc. Get this, when they were in the Bible one time a week, which included, which they gave him credit for that on, in church on Sunday, which even there, a lot of churches don't ever open the Bible, so I'm not sure how you can give credit for Bible reading when just by church attendance, because those things are not necessarily equal in our culture nowadays either, but that's a different message. But when they were in the Bible one day a week, there was no difference between them and someone who never read their Bible. When they were in the Bible two days a week, so some other day on their own they would read Scripture, no difference. Three days a week, it started to tick a little bit. But when people moved to where they were engaging in the Word of God, what we call reading and responding in the Word of God, four or more days a week, here's what happened. Feeling lonely dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships, marriages, etc., friendships dropped 40%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Areas of sin in our lives, like addiction to pornography, alcoholism, etc., dropped two-thirds. All of this as a, as a direct correlation to being in God's word four or more times during the week. And on the positive side, the key to being kingdom people, sharing your faith went up 200%. Discipling increased by 230%. Guys, this isn't just one study. Study after study. After, Lifeway did a study, and they a very similar thing, the publisher Lifeway. And what they found was the number one factor to living what we would consider a healthy, mature Christian walk in, in different areas of your life, actually in your marriage, in your family, etc. The number one factor was daily being in God's Word. Willow Creek, that's, that, that launched what is known as the seeker-sensitive megachurch movement. They did their own study, and to their own credit, they said the only people in our tens of thousands of people that attend our types of churches that have any spiritual depth at all are the ones who report reading the Bible on their own. That's it. I, guys, here's our problem. A few weeks, at the beginning of the month, we had a baptism. Praise the Lord. Alex was baptized. He gave this little quote my mom reminded me of a couple weeks ago. He was taking New Testament history, or he was taking New Testament survey from Daniel, and he said this, I thought I could pass the class without reading the material. Okay, just let's read that again. I thought I could pass the class without reading the material. Now put that in the context of your own life. That's the problem with, Christian, with, with Christians today. We think we can pass the class without reading the material. That does not work. It is not possible. That's why I push, that's why my soapbox is reading and responding to the Word of God. And in your bulletin today, I'm not going to belabor it because it's in your bulletin, but there was a handout that walks through how to read and respond to the Word. Because it's, it's, it's not just reading the Word. Because what happens is we tend to read the even if we're like, okay, one of my things for 2020 is I'm going to read the Word every day. I read my daily reading or whatever it is I have scheduled for that day. And then I get up and I leave. Guys, you, you hang on to almost none of that. If you don't engage with the word, what, what I do is journaling. What I teach is journaling. Some people don't like that. They, they find other ways of engaging. But you have to do something with the word, not just read it. Then it really goes, it gets down into your soul. 
that way. So what this does is it walks you through the process of how to why. First of all, the front page is why, read and respond to the word. And the second is how. And, and it, it just walks, all, here's what it looks like. You pray, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your truth. You read the daily readings. Guys, we'll send them. They're on the back of your connecting points. We'll send them to you in the In the Word today. They get posted to our Facebook page every, every day. Um, guys, there's lots. Of, if, if you have your own reading plan, this, the handout that Jeff talked about, that's one of the things that practically speaking, one of the things that it walks through is what is your plan for being in God's Word every day? Right? But have one. I have yet to meet the person who has a walk I want to emulate that does not have this as their spiritual discipline. That does not mean I haven't met good godly men who are preaching the word faithfully and who are really saved and are making a huge impact on the kingdom that I very much appreciate their ministry. But I don't, but I don't want their walk. The men that I look at and I go, man, I want to grow up and be like that guy. Every single one of them has a daily discipline of being in God's word. Because that's what makes the difference. So get into the word so that the word will get into you. And then you just say, okay, again, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. You reflect on what it had to say. You respond to it. And then maybe share it with somebody to help bless them with what you have been blessed with. Guys, here's the thing. To get off my soapbox, because I'm already behind time, I would love to help you. Because you want to you encourage your pastor's soul? Text me or email me. They're both on the back of the bulletin and say, I would love to get together with you and have coffee and have you show me how to get into the Word of God. Man, I tell you what, I, I would love that. That's th th that, that to me is the best part of my job because I know the difference it'll make in your life. So today's question is, what does it take for you to walk with Jesus into a new year, decade, eternity? Here's what you need to know about who is with you along the way. And this next point goes fairly fast. So hang with me on this, because I want to get to our last point, which you're really going to need some brain power for. So pick it up in verse 24. It says, He who does not love me does not keep my, my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. If this is sounding like the invocation passage, it's because this is such an important point. Jesus repeats it in chapter 16. He will bring into remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but as, uh, to you, I, but as I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be fearful. Guys, how in the world can he say to them, I'm leaving you my peace? In a world that is full of conflict and turmoil, in a world that is full of hurt and pain, in a world that is full of sickness and suffering, how in the, what is this, my peace I leave you? That does not sound very peaceful. Here's the peace. It has nothing to do with pain and hurt and conflict. It has to do with his presence. What he's telling them is, my spirit is going to come into you, and that is my peace. Peace is not absence of conflict. Peace is his presence in the midst of conflict. How do I know? He puts his disciples into a boat, sends them out into the ocean, and he says, and then he orchestrates a storm in their life, and they're terrified, and they're scared, and then he walks out on the water, and they're even more terrified because they're like, there's this dude walking on the water. What is that about? And you know what he says to them? Stop 
being afraid. The great I am is here. Here's the key though. He tells them to stop being afraid before he calms the storm. He doesn't calm the storm until after Peter gets out of the boat, starts to sink, picks him up, walks him back to the boat. He gets in the boat and the storm stops. He doesn't say, storm cease. Now, gentlemen, do you see what I can do? So now stop being afraid. He doesn't say that. He does just the opposite. He looks at them and commands them, in the midst of the storm, stop being afraid, because I am here. And that's all you need. And then he calms the storm. Because if, if you're hoping that what's going to happen in 2020 for you is that by being faithful and, and, and white, through white-knuckle discipline, I am going to, I'm going to will myself into being in God's Word every day and to doing better as a Christian and to stop looking at that stuff on the internet. And to what, guys, none of that's going to happen. When you walk into those things going, Lord, I just want you to, I want to be with you and I want you to be with me. Watch those other things happen. That's the key. You say, but wait a second. The disciples had him. They had his presence that he was around. He was walking on the water. I'd follow him too if he, if he, would, if he would walk on the, we don't have any water here, but if we walked on the wa water to me, then I would actually, I would follow him too. You know what Peter would say? You know what Peter will say when you see him in heaven? He would say, you know what? Seeing Jesus do the miraculous was amazing, but having Jesus living in me after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came into me, was completely awesome. There was no comparison. Seeing him do miracles yeah, that was cool. The miracle of him living in me beyond anything I could have imagined. Guys, that should be us. That should be us. So what does it look like, or what does it take to walk with Jesus into this new decade that we're going into? First, we have to know what we need to know, which is the word, about who is walking with us along the way. He gives us his spirit as the helper to, to speak to us, to transform us, and 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 convict us, and in so many other ways that I've taught on here before that I'm not going to talk about right now because it's related to our last point. And here is how we walk with him. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Another passage, and, and we've taught through the Gospel of John here before, so I'm flying through these passages. I know I'm going to fly through this one. Galatians chapter 5, and starting in verse 16. This is the deeds of the flesh. Sorry. This is the deeds of the flesh. And the, and the fruit of the Spirit. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through this passage quickly and then, and then go back and point out the things I want to point out because I'm not here to talk about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit today. I'm here to talk about how do we walk with Him in, in a way that produces the fruit of the Spirit, that He produces it in us. So look at verse 16 of chapter 5. It says, but, but I say to you, walk by the power of the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh set its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you will not, be, not do the things that you please. So what he's saying is, we have these fleshly bodies that are still fallen. We have this spiritual part that has been reborn, and they are at odds with each other. And then he points out, and here's what the oddness looks like. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, and depending on your translation, these words might be a little different, but they all convey the same thing, ugliness versus beauty. The deeds of the flesh are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, 
idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Thank you that that's over. But, I love that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And then he goes on to say, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now I'm assuming everybody here wants to produce, wants to see fruit in their lives. I'm assuming that. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm speaking as if that's true. I'm also assuming that everybody here understands that fruit is not something we can produce on our own. I cannot look at that list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., and go, okay, here we go. I'm just going to be more loving. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more kind. I'm going to, it doesn't work. It lasts for, I won't get, I won't even get into February. If, the, if that is my, I, I, who am I kidding? I won't get into the 2nd of January. Right? So, so the question becomes, how does the word tell us this happens? We have deeds of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. How do I live over here? Here's what's interesting. If you, if, and I don't want to make this a Greek word study, but I'm gonna. So hang with me on this because it's worth the wrestle. Because every one of those phrases where he says, walk by, led by, live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit, and then even one we haven't seen yet, be filled by the Spirit, they're all, they all seem to, from an English perspective, convey sort of a similar idea. There are completely different words in the Greek that mean different things. Let me show you. In verse 16, when he says, walk by the Spirit, that is the Greek word peripateo. What that means is, Go, to go about doing, like as a lifestyle. And it's in the imperative. It means it's a command. So, so Paul is telling us, you are to walk by the Spirit as an act of your lifestyle. So what he's saying is, you make it your lifestyle to walk spiritually empowered. But in verse 18, when he says, but be led by the Spirit, that is the Greek word agasethe. And it's, it means to be directed or influenced by. And here's the key. It's in the passive voice. That means you're not doing it. That means the Spirit is doing it to you. So when he says, walk by the Spirit, you do it. He says, be led by the Spirit. He's saying, you are being influenced by something outside of you that is in the process of controlling you. So uh, the way we would say it is, let the Spirit guide you. So how do we live in the Spirit, the, de the fruit of the Spirit and not the deeds of the flesh? How do we walk into 2020 with Jesus? Well, we make it a lifestyle, that's our part, as he influences us. Now guys, I've used this analogy before. People have said it like, like the idea that saying God is my co-pilot, it was a bumper sticker that was popular years ago, is not true. If God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat, right? I've talked about that. In fact, the truth is you stole the car right? It's his car. But, but that analogy breaks down a little bit because here's the key. God isn't our co-pilot, but he doesn't want to drive the car for us. In other words, he doesn't want to be in the driver's seat driving. He wants to teach you to drive. 
That's the win for God. He wants to teach you to drive because then you are bringing him glory by his wisdom in his power and his strength but as he's teaching you and guiding you and directing you and he's your GPS on the dashboard and he's all those things. And he gets, guys, here's, here's the best way I can explain it. Parenting. For those of you that are parents, you get this. I can make my daughters do what I want them to do. I can make them read the word of God every day. I get joy when they read the word of God on their own. Does that make, does that, see the difference? I can, you can make your kid obey you. God could make us obey him. He gets joy when he leads us into obedience and we willingly step into that space. That's the difference. That's why I press the reading and responding so much. It is driving school. Because we can't step into that space unless we know the, the, the rules of the road, right? This is the driving manual. This is driving school. You go, and the Holy Spirit then teaches you how to drive. Now, in verse 25, he has two words. He has two phrases that sound similar. In verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, that is the Greek word zao, it means to live supernaturally. Zoe is the Greek word for life. Zao is the form of that word that would be supernatural life. To be or to become alive, especially in a resurrected way. And then at the end of that verse, he says, let us also walk by the Spirit. And that's the Greek word stoicheo. And what that word means is to live carefully as if in a process. To march. So it, it is not the same, guys, that's, we translate it, it sounds very much like the same thing he said in verse 16. Verse 16 was, live a supernatural lifestyle. Verse 25 is, moment by moment, get your cue from the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's it's, like a, it's like marching in the military. Or for example, um, Chloe Morris was the band director, what do they call it? Drum major drum major at the award-winning um, Sunrise Mountain High School marching band, as was, frankly, her brother, who was up here leading music today. But, and she gets up there on her little platform, and she's doing this thing, right? And I'm like, what? I've watched her perform a few times. I'm like, I don't get what that isn't about, and I don't really. But here's the key. The hundred people out there in the marching band that all have white stripes down their leg, because that way you can tell if they're on or off marching, are getting their cue from her. In that scenario, she's the Holy Spirit. And they are following her drumbeat, her cue, to know how to be in step. That's what Paul is telling us here. He's saying, find your cue, find your rhythm by following the Holy Spirit. That sounds great, Doug, but how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Last place we're going to look, turn a few pages to the right, to Ephesians 5. And I'm going to finish it up with this. Ephesians 5 and verse 15. Right before we get to this whole thing about husbands and wives and parents and children and all that, and then spiritual warfare, Paul's going to say this in verse 15 through, um, through 18. He says, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Sounds real similar to what we just talked about. He said, and it's the same word, actually, that he uses in Galatians about have a be careful about your lifestyle. Peripateo. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. 
And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. That means uh, not, not being smart, to put it nicely. But be filled with the Spirit. Now guys, when he says be filled with the Spirit, that word in the Greek actually is pleruse, pleruse is actually how you pronounce it. And it means to be filled up with, to be supplied by, to be or become generously supplied with, impacted by. And it's in what's called the middle voice, which, which means, or the middle tense, which means that we're partnering with God in it. This is not something we do on our own. It's not something he does with us or to us. It is something we partner with him in. Here's the best analogy I can give. Sailing. I know we don't do a lot of sailing. I've only sailed one time in my life. We were blessed by some friends. We were in California a few years ago. He was in the Navy and he rented a, sail, a little sailing boat and we put it out of, the, out of the bay and he lifts those sails and the minute the sails hit that, or the wind hit the sails, that boat just took off. And although I don't like the ocean, so I was really freaked out and I'm looking for sharks the whole time, I was thinking to myself, this is crazy amazing. There's no noise and we are flat moving. Why? Because the wind was blowing the sails. Now, remember what I said about when I was talking about Jesus talking to Nicodemus and he says that the wind blows where it will and nobody knows where it's going? The word wind and breath and spirit in the New Testament is pneuma. It's all, it's all the same. Wind, breath, and spirit is, a, is some version of the same Greek word pneuma. So here's what he said. When, when Jesus, in the upper room, before he, before he ascends to heaven, Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, receive my spirit. He breathes on them. At Pentecost, when the spirit falls, what do they hear? The sound of a rushing wind. I don't think it's any coincidence that Paul is saying be filled to overflow. Because we have this idea of fill, and it's not a bad analogy of being filled like a water bottle that's leaking and we keep filling it up. Um, Jeff used that as an analogy when he taught on this passage several years ago, or a couple years ago. Um, or maybe a sponge. I, I've used it like the dry sponge in the back of your sink and you put it in water so it, so it kind of soaks up the spirit and that idea. Those are not bad analogies, but this one is, is just as good or better because what it's saying is if we lift our sails, he will fill them. Now here's the thing. There are sailing races. Why? It's the same wind. You ever think about that? The same. So how can you race if the same wind is blowing each boat. Doesn't everybody win at the same time? If the wind is traveling 20 miles an hour, all the boats are traveling 20 miles an hour, right? Wrong. Why? Because some of the people on the boats are better at setting their sails. That's what I want 2020 to be for me in this context. I want it to be a year that is marked by me getting better at setting my sails so that the Holy Spirit will fill them and I will go in his power. That's what I would ask you to be praying about. So the question is, what sets your sails? As the music team comes back up and we respond in song and in, in, in baptism, I just want to ask you guys, if revival, what we've been praying for at Cornerstone for a while now is revival. If revival is us catching his wind in our sails, what sets your sails? Well, that, that's part of what this worksheet is for. It walks through some very practical things. That you, can, that you can look at for, for how can I get my sails set better. Next week, we're going to talk about feasting and fasting, praying, 
And how do you very practically get, get real about praying and say, how do I set my sails so that as I'm walking along, along day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, going, Spirit, fill me. Fill my sails in this moment that I might follow where you would lead. So how do we take Jesus with us into the new year? I, guys, I could have said all of these things because ultimately it all comes down to these two things. These two things. One, do you see how deeply and passionately you are loved by Christ? Because if you don't see that, then everything I just said for the last 40 minutes is a waste. And the second thing is, what do you need to, what, what is your role in lifting your sail that he might feel, fill it? Because you just see him as better. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for the truth of your word that guides us and directs us. And I thank you for the power of your spirit that moves us. Lord, I want to pray that 2020 for my own life and the life of um, our church family, Lord, here at Cornerstone, that it would be one marked by having our sails filled. First, that we would know how to raise them because we've been in your word and we see your direction. And then we would, we would do our part in lifting our sails that you might do your part and fill them. Lord, I thank you in advance for the example of the filling that we're going to see and hear in these testimonies. Lord, don't let us walk out of here just going, okay, that was a great message. But, but, but bring it in, bring, bring all of this, whether it be the, the, the message that was just said or the stuff that is sung or the testimonies that are shared. Lord, let it all be to the end that it would get down into our souls that we might look more and more like Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.